Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, thanks for joining us today. I want to make sure you're aware of a couple things coming up on our calendar. May the 31st, we've got our all-church outdoor gathering. That's going to be a great time just for fellowship, for us just to connect, to catch up, to actually be together in person. And we're going to celebrate with just some singing prayer, uh, time for us to give you some updates, and mainly just a, a great opportunity for us to be together as the family of God. So we're excited about that. Uh, also, this week, we put out some steps for our reopening, and so hope that you're staying on top of all that stuff on our website, also on our social media stream, but we want to make sure you're aware of kind of our plans as we move forward, and we're excited to be together here very quickly. Let me pray for us as we head back into 1 Samuel together. Father, we pray that you would be present with each of us. Father, we just ask that your spirit would do work in our hearts, that you would enlighten the word of God in our minds, that you would help us to trust you more fully, to, to, to believe in you more deeply. Uh, Father, to walk with you more closely. Father, for those of us who are, are wandering away from you, uh, maybe have wandered, uh, Father, we all do. Father, I pray that you, would just, that you would woo us back home by your grace, that we would trust your love, and that we would trust your goodness and the goodness of your path for us. Father, we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. We are entering what I kind of jokingly refer to as the twilight, uh, twilight zone, part of the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to through the rest of this book. You just get some crazy stuff. We're going to look at today, David going through a period of backsliding. We're going to, then you see witches, you see beheadings, you see all kinds of insanity throughout the rest of this, uh, this book that we've been studying. So today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Let me tell you what we're going to be talking about as, as you are looking that up. We're going to be looking at uh, something we call backsliding. We're going to look at regret. We're going to look at going backwards. And uh, the fact of the matter is, every single one of us does this. Uh, there are periods of life for each of us where we just seem to regress spiritually. And we're going to look at one of those in David's life today. And one of the things I love about the Bible is just the honesty that it presents the, the people that are somewhat considered the heroes of the Bible uh, as people who don't have it all together. And so really, with the exception of Jesus, there's not a single figure in the Bible who does not have a period of kind of regressing or going backwards in terms of their spiritual life. And, and then whatever you decide to call that, sometimes we call it backsliding regression. It's the prodigal parade. When I was growing up, we used to call it carnal Christians, and I'm not sure there really is such a thing, but we're just trying to make sense of these terms of, of, of what does it mean when we go backwards, when, when we're not walking with, with, with the Lord, but we actually seem to walk away from him. Uh, even Billy Graham's wife once prayed, Father, if you kill him, I pray I won't remarry. And so if Billy Graham went through seasons that made his wife want him, want him gone, I'm going to guess we all do the same thing. And if you've been walking with God any time at all, and you just know there are, there are days, there are weeks, maybe months, maybe years, where you didn't give God a thought at all, but you wandered away on your own path. And this is uh, one of those sermons, I think, for all of us that, man, it's going to hurt a little bit. We know it's good 
good to hear it, but it hurts, it hurts when, uh, when you look at the reality of the fact that sometimes we just walk away from the Lord and we don't seem to be engaged spiritually whatsoever. Any of you old timers know the movie Rocky? And remember in, in Rocky when he'd get in the ring, sometimes he'd just get to a point where he needed to wake himself up and he'd tell the guy, he'd say, okay, come on, hit me, hit me. And he's got his gloves and he's kind of dancing and he'd just say, hit me. And he'd take a big one and say, hit me again and take another one. And there's something in that that for him felt good because it was waking him up and stirring something in him. And I think this is going to be a sermon that feels a little bit like that. It's going to feel like taking a few punches, um, but I think it's going to help us and wake us up to some good stuff. So here we don't just see David's victories, we really see his failures. And I hope this actually becomes a comfort for you to know that, that David was weak, that David was frail, that David was sinful. And, and because of that, uh, hopefully it gives us some comfort for our own struggles as well. And here's what we're gonna, we're gonna, what I want you to understand today is when we take our eyes off the Lord, all of us are gonna veer off God's path of promise. And so I just wanna give you eight, eight things this, uh, this morning where, uh, I don't wanna say morning there. Oh, I should have pressed on. Sorry. You're good. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you today eight, eight things that happen when we veer off God's path of promise. So let's look at 1 Samuel 27, and we'll start off in verse 1. It says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the Baal's widow. And when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So verse one, you get the you see the problem in the very first phrase. This is David said in his heart. The first the first problem we see in David's life is that he's talking to himself. He, he's looking for wisdom in his own heart. And when we venture off God's path, one of the first things that happen is is dangerous self talk. Uh, there's a reality for us that we all talk to ourselves. We all have these mental habits or mental conversations that uh, that we play out. But there's times when that talk kind of moves us in a dangerous direction. And the reality is our self-talk is never neutral. Our self-talk always pushes us in a direction and moves us in, in one way or another. One guy says, all of us propagandize our souls. Friends, I'm, I'm convinced that in this generation, the spiritual battle that we're going to have to fight is going to be for our emotional and relational health. That we're going to have to fight on those grounds to learn to trust the Lord and to take those things captive and to learn to walk with Him in the, in the midst of our emotional and relational issues. How we interact with others in our own hearts, or how we interact with, with our own hearts and minds, and then how we interact with others in light of those things is going to dictate an awful lot of how we live for the Lord in this generation. See, humanistic thinking says that we have to solve our own problems. And I think in the counselor's words, how's that working for you? And it's, it's not hard to see when you look around the world. We are, we are more anxiety-ridden right now than ever before. And so that is, uh, that is one of those things that's just beating us up. And so it's not hard to see the problem. But what happens is, like David, when we begin to talk to ourselves, if we, if we close our Bibles and look to our own brilliance for a way out, we are always going to end up in, in a problematic place. 
And that's kind of what we're going to see from David in this passage is that, um, that, that when you... When you, when you close your Bibles, when you close yourself off to the Word of God and you try to chart your own course, you try to find your own way out of trouble, uh, you're going to end up just digging a deeper hole. Whenever the, uh, the oracles... Whenever, whenever the the oracle of wisdom that you uh, that you trust originates in your own head, you're always going to end up in a bad in a bad space. So, David um, really shows us what's next when our mental habits are hardwired to our emotions. And so it says David said in his heart, and in the middle of that conversation, what does he say? He goes to a place of despair. He says, "Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape." When he says, "I perish," he's just saying, "I'm going to die." What you see is David's, David's mental thinking is pessimistic thinking. It's, it's uh, fatalistic thinking. In fact, all of us have these thoughts sometimes in our heads and we, we may bottle them up and kind of push them down or we may brood on them and just dwell on them and obsess over them. But we get stuck in these negative thought patterns that drive us. And for David, it's driving him to a place of despair. The counselors call this catastrophizing. He said, I'm heading for catastrophe. And it's grounded in his discouragement. It's grounded probably in some depression and his, in his worry and anxiety, and it leads him to a place of despair. Now, it's interesting in this verse when he says, I shall perish, perish, the word there is actually means I will be swept away, meaning I just, I'm going to have no control, but I'm going to be swept away. Here's what's fascinating. In chapter 26, David used that, that exact phrase about Saul and said, God's going to sweep Saul away and take him, take, kind of remove him from the scene at some point, and he was confident that the Lord was going to bring about Saul's death and deliver him and David would be delivered. But now David has flipped that. Instead of Saul being in trouble, David says, the Lord's going, I'm going to perish. I'm going to be swept away by Saul. And you see the, the, the slight shift that's taken place in terms of the way David is thinking and approaching his life. Now, let me ask you a question. Had God promised that David would sit on the throne? Had God promised that David's descendants would carry on the throne? Yes, he had. Had either of those things happened yet? Well, no, they hadn't. So could Saul have just swept David away and taken his life? Well, not at all. God had promised David that one day he would be on the throne. And it's fascinating in 26 that David seems so confident. He says, may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord and he'll deliver me out of all my distresses. But he also said in the same passage, but I feel like a bird who's been hunted by Saul and continuing running away. So he's got these human emotions of I'm feeling hunted and that goes together in his heart with a sense of faith that I'm going to trust the Lord to bring me out of my distresses. Now as we get to 27 and we see David beginning to pull away, which one of those two thought patterns do you think David's been leaning into and sort of obsessing over and fixating on? Well, I think he's been fixating on the feeling of being hunted. Now here's what's interesting for me when I think about David. I think you have to realize that his, his ascension to the throne is just taking him longer than he ever thought it would. This is going to take, him, take more than a decade for him where he's just on the run. And as, as he's just getting ground down by the time and by the constant pursuit, think of all the things that have happened. Saul just keeps coming after him. The Ziphites have betrayed him now twice. His own people has, has betrayed him to Saul two different times. His army twice has asked him to take Saul's life and pushed against him. He's had to fight back against them to do the right thing. 
his army's still 600 and Saul's still got 3,000 in his army. David, I think, you know, when, when I just think about where he is, and the guy hadn't had a promotion in years, he hasn't had a bonus in years, he doesn't have a kingdom, doesn't have an empire, doesn't have a home. He just is getting ground up by life. And I think time has worn him down and he's getting to a place where he's just exhausted. He just wants it all to stop. He's just saying, could I, could I please just have a moment of peace and quiet, a moment of rest? I need some relief here. Um, have you ever felt like that? Where you just thought, if I just had a few minutes of peace, I think I could survive all the stuff I'm going through. I think that's where, that's where David was at this time. And that sort of just the grinding wheels of time had got him down. So look at the next sentence he, he says in verse one. He says, there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I will escape out of his hands. So the next thing that we see that happens in the life of David and when we veer off the path of trusting God's promises is we, we seek to escape. And here that word shows up twice. And what we, what we under, you understand is David's trying to replace false despair, his catastrophizing, with false comfort, which is his over overly optimistic idea of escape. Uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, quoted a guy, uh, Rollo May, who's a psychologist, who says, uh, man is the only animal who runs faster when he's lost his way. That when, he, when you get off course, men just, we just keep going. It's like, oh, I've got to keep running. I've got to keep running. I've got to find my way out of this. And the problem is not that he's trying to escape a bad situation. The problem is where he looks, where, where he runs for escape. And that's what it says. It says he's going to escape to the land of the Philistines. What? Like the Philistines are his enemy, the ones that he's fought against for years. And now he's looking at that saying, oh, if I could just be with them. That's going to be, it's going to be a release for me. So he looks to the Philistines for security rather than looking to the Lord. And here's something I think we all need to know about ourselves, that we, we tend to repeat our patterns of escape. That's why Proverbs says the dog returns to his vomit just as the fool returns to his folly. That we often run back to the things that we had run to before. And back in 1 Samuel 21, you may remember David also ran to the Philistines. He ran to the city of Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath. And he actually got himself in trouble, ends up drooling, you know, acting crazy and insane and having drool run out his beard just to try to escape out of that bad situation situation that he got himself in, but now he's back and he's doing the same thing. He's hoping to escape his troubles, but he's going to a place that's no good. So friends, can I ask you a question? Is there any way that you're looking for escape in this tough season that we're in? Is there any way in which you're trying to escape without God's help or looking for security without God's help, looking for comfort apart from God, looking for, for, uh, for release or joy without God's help? Now, I want you to know it's normal for us to feel these things like David felt. He felt pulled in different directions and you won't find anyone in the Bible that moves up and to the right all the time. We have this tug of war in our hearts that says you, you need to find a release, some relief. You need to find a place to escape. Matthew Henry said our hearts have made, are made of tender, meaning that, that our hearts are easily inflamed by old passions uh, that, that previously burned there. And so, so often we find ourselves running back to places that brought some sense of release, even if it's a false release of the pressure that we're facing in life. But you need to know there's no real escape apart from God. The verse two says, David arose and went over 
He went over across the border to the other side. David, he changed teams. He picked sides. This is Kevin Durant leaving the Oklahoma City Thunder and going to play for Golden State, saying, well, I can't beat him. I guess I'll just join him. And so David says, well, I don't seem to be able to win here. I guess I'll go to, go to Philistia and try to see if I can win over there. And what happens when we do that is the fourth thing that we see that happens when we veer off God's path of promise, which is collateral damage. He drags his family into enemy territory. Verse three, it says, David led, lived with Achish and Gath, he and all his men, every man of his household, and David with his two wives. David takes his whole family and everyone ends up there living in this enemy territory in a dangerous place. Friends, don't ever think that your wandering from the Lord affects nobody but you. When you go over to the other side, it always pulls other people in the same direction. And you may not see the impact immediately, but eventually it shows up. So this brings us to the fifth aspect that we have to wrestle with of what happens when we veer off God's path, which is false relief of the pressure. In verse four, David, or it says of David, and when it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, Saul no longer sought him. Man, what would that have been like for David? This guy that's been on the run, his, his six, uh, 600 member uh, army running away from Saul's 3,000 member army and his, David's had to, had to run over and over and over and said, man, I just feel like a bird that's being hunted. Now all of a sudden that re, that's, there's a release from that. Saul is no longer seeking him. So in some ways, what you see is that it works. David's plan works. Saul backs off and is no longer chasing after him. For the first time in years, David does not feel pursued and hunted uh, he has this momentary success, and initially it had a positive effect. And in fact, uh, though, it just gives him kind of a false sense of security, a false confidence, a false relief of the pressure that he had faced. And in that, uh, that's just the way things work with sin. Uh, sin always feels better for just a little while. Sin gives us, a, gives us a, an inkling of peace and freedom that lasts for a season. But it's not a, not a forever place. And in David's case, I mean, this may be, maybe this was the best sleep they'd had in months. I promise you, living in a, in a country cottage is going to be better than living in a cave. And so maybe they, they had rest for the first time. Maybe for the first time as they have spoils, as we're going to see a little bit later, they have spoils from some of their raids and stuff, that they have more stuff and more wealth than they've ever had. Maybe they, they probably had less worry about their safety than they had in years now that Saul's not pursuing them. And it makes sense that all this would have felt great to David in the moment, right? That's why David settles in, because it felt good. And that's oftentimes the next step that happens. And when we have a false sense of release, we move into a pattern of, of compromise. But we begin to settle there. And what began as a detour becomes more of a destination for us. And we see that this is what happens to David in verses five and six. Then David said to Achish, if I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given to me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. Just give me a little place out in the suburbs or in the rural area. I'll go dwell over there. I'll stay out of here. For why should your, your servant dwell in, in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. 
So here, David asks, and um, in some ways, he's making a, a wise move. He says, hey, just give me a little place in the country, but he says that I may dwell there. The, this, this is no longer a detour. This is a, this is a place he's settling. He's, he's making this a dwelling place for himself. And so uh, out, of, out of this diversion is now becoming more of a destination. And it gives him a town called Ziklag. And Ziklag's kind of positioned between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so this is kind of a win-win for both of them. For Achish, he says, hey, I've got a buffer between me and the Israelites now. And David can, uh, can kind of serve a purpose for me. And for David, there's security in that because he's isolated from the Philistine army and he's also isolated from Saul's army. And so it's good for him to, have to be a little further away. Now, the other thing we're going to see for David is it also gives him a little freedom and space to operate, that he's not going to be quite under the thumb of Achish and he's got a little more freedom to do what he wants. And so David thinks he can carve out a place of peace with his heart still in Israel, but his feet in Philistia. And so often that's what happens in the compromise phase of our lives. It, when we compromise, it's, it's submission to another enemy and another cause because we've chosen to make a place there. And friends, it's so easy for us to do this. That's why Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. The other translation says, the sin which clings so closely. And isn't that the way sin is? Like, it's never hard to find. It's never something you have to seek out, but it's, it's always just there clinging closely to us, ready for us to embrace it. That's why Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation. And can I give you a sobering thought as I think about, think about David's life? Think about his experiences. He, he had experienced the calling of God. He experienced the anointing of God. He is called a man after God's own heart. He continually had reassurances from God's people about God's future promises and plans for David. You see that David had, had seen miraculous interventions. David had fought battles for the Lord. He'd continually taken his faith seriously. This is a guy who he journaled all the time. He wrote psalms and, and worshiped all the time. He prayed and had deep moments of prayer and relationships for the Lord and continually had poured his heart out to the Lord. He'd made hard decisions and fought for his faith with courage and bravery and yet this the grinding down of life hit him in a moment of weakness and he just wanders away from the Lord. He, he, he was not invincible. He could not bear the weight of this kind of indefinite hide and seek chase waiting for God's promises to come true and it just became too much for him to bear and he gave in. And so this 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 David, what you see, what I see in him is that his heart's like mine, that so often is conflicted, that it feels like it's being pulled in different direction. David, who is incredibly strong in the caves of Adullam, is about to just cave in to his weakness completely. And so depression, deception, and, uh, and kind of that dangerous self-talk can begin us down a path that can really lead us down some strange alleyways. And at the end of uh, this the little section we read there in verse 7, uh, there's one thing I want to point out to you. It says the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. See, the next thing that we see that happens to us when we veer off God's path is wasted opportunities. David was there for a year and four, and four months. That's a long time. That's enough time to be settled. That's enough time to make new friendships, enough time to find your favorite restaurants in, in that area of town. It's, your, it's enough time to, to really be indoctrinated to, to local ways. And David is there for 16 months. Do you know that in this entire chapter of the Bible, God is not mentioned one time? 
God is entirely absent through this period. And presumably, it's trying to tell us that God was really absent from David's life during this entire time. Not because God wasn't there, but because David had just walled himself off to the Lord. And so God, the man after God's own heart had ignore, was ignoring God for, for a full 16 months. Now think about the lost opportunities, the, the wasted opportunities that they've had. In this, in this time, David writes, no psalms. There's no worship. There's no mission for the Lord. There's no peace that comes from the Lord. There's no joy in the Lord that David oftentimes wrote about in his songs and, and sang about. In this whole time, there's, there's no spiritual productivity coming out of David. It's just this kind of wasted opportunity. And, uh, and I th- it's, it's astounding to me when I think about the amount of time that, that goes through here, except that I also know in my own heart there's periods of my life where, and I've wandered, where, where I've not let, allowed the Lord to have his way. And for some of you, you're thinking, yeah, 16 months, try 16 years. Uh, for some of you, it's been a long time and you've been, uh, that you've been running away from the Lord. Others of you, and you're just starting down a downward path. Maybe this time of, uh, of quarantine and just the tension of all this time has just given you 16 days of you've begun to run away from the Lord and you're starting on that path. And friends, can I just tell you, let that be, let that be a, a short detour, not a destination that you learn to live in. Uh, let, it, let it not be a permanent change in the direction of your life, but come, come back home. The, the, the eighth thing we see is that detours often lead to duplicity. Duplicity is a, the deception of a double life, and we see that that is what happens in David's life. In verse eight, uh, we're gonna see this kind of duplicitous, uh, kind of double standard thing that's going on. He's playing the double game. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, and those were inhabitants of the lands from of old, as far as sure from the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, oh, I've just been running up against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the Jeremelites or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he will always be my servant. So here you see kind of the, where this all leads for David. David, um, David, has to, David lies to, to Achish to cover his tracks. And whenever you find yourself getting pinched, oftentimes deception is what has to come out. And so David, um, David betrays, in some sense, Israel and also betrays Achish, but he's sort of trying to play both sides. And you just can't, you can't really play both sides. And David's clearly convicted. What you see is that he doesn't want to completely betray his people, but it, he's going to pretend to betray his people because he wants to be, he wants the Philistines to appreciate him as well. And so David here is trying to serve both God and Gath. And he realizes, I can't be a man after, after God's own heart and fight against God's people. And so he has to try to deceive. 
and it's miserable to try to live with two masters. Jesus, Jesus told us it's impossible, that we can't do it. And here David's finding himself in this place where he's trying to, to fight the battles for Philistia, but he doesn't want to fight against his own people, and so he lies. What he has to, what, what's happening in this whole period, it says, is that David and his army is kind of going out and they're attacking the bands of these three peoples, and these are actually peoples that, uh, that, that God had said that, the, that Israelites should drive out, and yet David's not doing it as an act of faith. David's doing it as a compromise because he, he doesn't want to go fight against Israel, but then he comes back and tells Achish, hey, I was fighting against the Israelites, which was not true, and so he'd come back, he'd carry off their livestock, their goods, he'd bring the spoil to Achish as tribute or payment, but he always claims that, that the raids were against his own people, against Judah, against one of the tribes of Israel. And, and Achish says, Achish sees David as a deserter and says, he's going to be a stench to his own people. What David wants to do is he wants to, it's kind of the classic thing of wanting to have his cake and eat it too. He's trying to still honor the Israelites and, and keep his heart there, but he's also trying to win over the favor of the Philistines and he can't do it. And so he's kind of a desert raider uh, who raided against the desert raiders and he justifies it saying, uh, kind, of like, kind of like a Robin Hood hero. He says, well, I'm stealing and killing, but I'm stealing and killing from the bad guys, so it's probably okay. But what you see with David is he's so fearful in this moment. This is what deception does to us when we're living in duplicity is we've got to cover our tracks. And so he comes back and he, he lies to Achish, but he also annihilates everyone of these tribes that he, that he fights against so that it's not possible word could ever get back to Achish and that, that he might himself be in a, in a difficult spot. And so he kept up this policy of extermination to make sure informers didn't come kind of reveal his double game that he was trying to play. Now, where this leads David is to a very bad place. David eventually gets squeezed. And what we see at the very beginning of chapter 28 is that, uh, that Achish comes to him and Philist the Philistines are actually going to war against the Israelites. And so Achish comes to David and says, okay, you're my bodyguard, you're my man. I need you to fight with us against your countrymen now. And David says, well, you know, all that your servant can do, you know how good I am at war, so I will go with you. So here's what's, a, what's at stake for David in this moment. And we're not gonna get to the end of it today. I'm gonna leave you kind of with a cliffhanger here. But let me just tell you what's at stake for David. He's the future king of Israel. How easy is it, as smooth talking as David can be, how easy is it gonna be for him to talk his way out of killing his, his, his own countrymen as a paid enforcer for their primary enemy? Uh, he, he's, he's risking everything. As if he marches with the Philistines, he's gonna lose credibility forever. He'll forever be labeled as a traitor. And so what's, what's David gonna do is he's finally, his, his kind of detour time has put him in a, in a complete dead end of, of a path. And we'll pick that up next time. But let me just tell you why, what we need to do with this text is we think about it for us. I think this text should serve for us as both a warning and a comfort. I think it's obvious how it ought to be a warning that you don't want to veer off God's path if that's going to, uh, going to always lead us into trouble just as it did for David. I think it may be harder to see how this is actually a comfort for us. But here's what I want you to understand is Christianity is not for those who can navigate life perfectly and always walk in peace and always uh, live by ease. Christ came for sinners and God uses broken vessels to further his cause. And, and it's a comfort for me because David fails miserably and yet God does not throw him away. 
God's going to continue to come back and fight for David. He's going to run after David. He's going to pursue David and call David back. And so God uses this sinful man. And David is made of the same stuff that you and I are made of. And his heart often pulls him in two directions. And sometimes our hearts are going to pull us in two directions in the same way. And sometimes we're going to fall down and sometimes we're going to blow it. And the reality for us is that we, we need more than hand sanitizer to keep us clean. We need God's grace. We need, we need something that goes beyond just a surface wash. We need something that cleanses us all the way through. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified as a, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. The first part of that verse tells us that we're all just as sinful as David was. All have sinned and fallen short. Because none of us, none of us can skirt around that. All of us are, are just as sinful as David was. But the second part of that verse tells us that we're all just as loved as David was by the Lord. That we all in Christ can receive his, his grace as a gift. See, our sin shouldn't make us question whether the Bible is true. Our sin actually proves the Bible is true. This is what the, what the word of God says from beginning to end, is that all of us have fallen short. None of us fully measure up. We all, we all regress at times, and in the middle of our regression, and our lives can be just smothered in sin, and it can be gross. We can get stuck in the, the miry mess, and we need God to lift us out of that and put our feet on solid ground. We need God to lift us up. And David was the same way. And David, in this deal, had veered off course and he continued to run down a path that got him in all kinds of trouble. So friends, let that be a comfort to you. Let it be a comfort to you that there is, that there is only one who has, who has lived perfectly. His name is Jesus. The rest of us are as David. The rest of us have fallen short. And so Jesus came to us and rescued us by his grace and offers that to us. And so we can walk by that. And friends, I don't, I don't know where you are in this season. I don't know if, if maybe you're in a season like David was where you just have wandered off the path of God's promise and you're continuing to try to make your own way and you're starting to reap and so the, the things that, that follow after that. Man, could this just be a day where David's life would be a reminder for you that you can come home, that you can come home by grace to, to walk with the Lord, that, he, that he's not gonna throw you away no matter how far you've run, uh, but that he, he stands there and he welcomes you in, that his love is, is, is ever ready um, for you. And this might be a time, whether it's been 16 hours, 16 days, 16 months, or 16 years, where you would come back and you would rest in his grace. Let me pray for us to that end. Father, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us our own way. And yet you sent a rescuer for us that we might, by your grace, that we might be forever with you. And Father, I pray in the ups and downs of this life and the ups and downs of this season and the ups and downs of, um, of our faithfulness and faithlessness, Father, we just pray that our trust would ever increase in you, in your grace. Uh, Father, might it be real for someone who's even listening right now. Father, might, might they trust your grace and come home and know that that's where true joy is found, that that's where real relief comes from. Uh, that they might run to you for peace and they might find themselves no longer in the miry clay, but they might find their feet placed on solid ground. Of, of your love. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.